Dr. Jason Woods here, and this is the Little Big Med Podcast, where we're talking little patients, but big medicine. My original idea for this podcast was to snag authors of recent important papers to interview about their work, and I'm getting back to those roots today. We've got Alexis Topgen on, who is the first author on a paper from earlier this year about hypotension after cardiac arrest. It was done as a post hoc analysis from data from the FAPCA trial, which was a large prospective study on targeted temperature management, also known as cooling after cardiac arrest. Dr. Topgen worked to analyze that data looking at hypotension after entry into the trial. Two notes before we start. This podcast was recorded with a service called Zencaster, which allows you to interview people who aren't sitting there with you via the internet. Definitely a learning experience, and so you notice a slight difference in the audio quality compared to what I normally put out. And two, if you listen real closely, you will hear... Uh, a special guest on this podcast, my dog, his name is Houston, who is actually a regular contributor to this podcast. Normally, I'm able to cut out his contributions, but this time around, he decided to sing to me throughout the entirety of the podcast. So if you hear some weird dog chirping in the background, that's him. He says hi. So I'm Alexis Topchin. I am a pediatric intensivist at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and I'm an associate professor of anesthesia and critical care medicine at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine. Um, and my area of interest is really in neurologic critical care and post-cardiac arrest care for children. Uh, and the reason that we, we wanted Alexis to come on today was to talk about a relatively recent article that was published with her as a first author titled Association of Early Post-Resuscitation Hypotension with Survival to Discharge After Targeted Temperature Management for Pediatric Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest. Uh, and this was published in uh, JAMA Pediatrics uh, at the beginning of this year. And, and my interest in that this is less specifically related to the uh, targeted temperature management and more because what this talks about is the risks uh, and the uh, longer-term outcomes associated with uh, both frequency and burden of hypotension after out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. So, uh, Alexis, I'm wondering if you could sort of set the stage for us with how this study came about and where your data came from. Sure. So I think I've had a longstanding interest in post-cardiac arrest care and how to improve outcomes, especially for those children who obtain um, return of spontaneous circulation. And there's been a longstanding look at targeted temperature management, but we um, probably about ooh, three or four years ago looked at a database and said, let's just look at blood pressure in the first six hours after return of spontaneous circulation or ROSC, and let's see if that's associated with outcome. And what we initially found in a retrospective cohort where blood pressure was really only documented as a higher or low over those first six hours was that children who had lower blood pressure, less than the fifth percentile for age and sex, were less likely to survive to discharge. And so it really sort of piqued our interest in terms of not is this a marker of mortality, but are there things that we can do to intervene that may help improve outcomes, survival, and then obviously our long-term goal would be neurologic outcome for these children. So when the THAPCA trial was completed, of which we were a site, we had this very large cohort of almost 300 children who had been enrolled in that study. And there had been blood pressures that had been documented prospectively over the first um, five days of post-arrest care. And so it seemed like a prime opportunity to do a little bit of a deeper dive to determine if early hypotension um, in this cohort was associated with survival to discharge. 
Am I correct that that FAPCA trial included both patients with in-hospital and out-of-hospital cardiac arrest? So the study did. The, it was really two trials that were done simultaneously. So the paper published in JAMA Pediatrics regarding hypotension was just looking at the out-of-hospital cohort, um, but both of the original studies were published separately um, in the New England Journal of Medicine. Okay, gotcha. The, the data that you had access to was based off of the protocol that was in place from the FAPCA trial, which included blood pressure measurements that were all invasive, uh, so all with arterial lines, if I'm correct? So that's correct, yeah. And then how did they decide when to start measuring the blood pressures? When was time zero? And then how, how did the data get to the point where you're using it? So the study, um, the original trial, patients had to be randomized to a temperature intervention within six hours of ROSC. And therefore, data collection started at the time of intervention. So for all of our patients, we have blood pressure starting by six hours. For our patients that were earlier, enrolled earlier, we may have a couple earlier blood pressures. And for patients that were later, they were at that maximum out to that point of six hours. So unlike our previous study where we looked at the first six hours after ROSC, our early hypotension, early blood pressure measurements for this particular study within six hours was um, within six hours of the intervention being started. And then how... Uh- how did you all define hypotension as far as you know our discussion today? So hypotension we had previously described looking at age and sex norms based out of data published from the NHLBI. And so we went ahead and we normalized the data for age, sex, and actually height if we had it for the child. And we looked at the systolic blood pressure. So within these one-year age groups, if your blood pressure was less than the fifth percentile normalized, then you were considered to be hypotensive. Um, And if it was greater than the fifth percentile, you were considered to be not hypotensive. So then what did we find out? Sort of what, what was the big talking point from the data? So I think the thing that's always super interesting to me is that hypotension after cardiac arrest is actually pretty common. When we went ahead and looked, we found that almost a quarter of patients had at least one episode of hypotension within that first six hours after randomization, or I should say intervention, which is more like six to 12 hours after ROSC. And that was on a protocol where they really helped, you know, said you should try and normalize blood pressure or, you know, do high level care with fluids and pressors. That number just feels astounding to me because I, I think we talk about the presence of hypotension post-arrest and trying to avoid it. So the fact that we're, uh, it's still occurring in a quarter of children felt really high. It is really high. And so I think what's interesting is when you look at our previous study and granted a very different cohort, that was almost 50%. So this is perhaps a little bit better, um, but it is high. And I think there are probably a couple of reasons why that may be the case. The first reason is, is some kids are just, it's bad. And no matter what you do, steroids, pressors, tons of volume, you can't turn it around. But I think what's actually more concerning is that we accept normal lower blood pressures to minimize our use of pressors, especially in certain populations. And I think we oftentimes do not think that normalizing a blood pressure or preventing hypotension to prevent secondary brain injury may be having an impact on the longer term outcomes of those patients. Apart from the the numbers, just total numbers of patients that had hypotension, were there clear differences in outcomes between those that were hypotensive uh, and those that weren't? Yeah. So I think the things that were notable is in kids who were had any hypotension within those first six hours of intervention, not surprisingly, had a longer duration of CPR. They received more doses of epinephrine. And we also found that they had higher lactate levels in that, that same sort of early time period. So none of that is entirely surprising because 
some of their hypotension post-arrest may be reflective of a more profound ischemic time or downtime prior to CPR and a harder time getting them back. You looked at specifically just whether or not the patient was hypotensive at any time, but you also looked at a hypotensive burden, the number of measurements over your data course where a patient was hypotensive. And were there were there differences there uh, for the overall hypotensive burden versus patients who, uh, who just were in the cohort who were either hypotensive or not? Yeah. So, I mean, not surprisingly, patients who were not hypotensive had a a 0% burden. When we looked and said, well, let's just see if those who are hypotensive just had one episode or two episodes thinking it was just maybe just a marker of a bad measurement. We actually found that the median um, number of hypotensive events for those patients was about 31%, which I thought was pretty astounding because you'd like to say, well, you get a free pass because every now and again, you have a blood pressure that's documented in a way that's maybe abnormal. But I think what that highlighted is there are patients who had more hypotension that did not resolve during the time that was measured. Um, so not not a low number of hypotension or percentage of time that patients were hypotensive. Yeah, that also feels like a high number. I, I guess these articles always make me feel a little sad because they remind me that maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Well, I think, you know, what you can account for from some of this is, you know, are what's actually happening at the bedside. So I suspect there were some patients where despite maximal efforts, um, blood pressure was not you know, able to be improved. And there may have been decision-making based on injury severity that limitations of care could have been put in place along the way or things were moving in that direction. But once again, just like every patient being unique when they come in, I suspect that there are some patients where um, with the attention to placing central lines, talking with families and all the other care that's going on, people are just not looking at the blood pressure as closely as possible um, and working hard to correct it. And that's really what's the most concerning. Were y'all able to find any specific protective factors outside of just not being hypotensive? Were there things that were within the hypotensive cohort that were associated with better or worse outcomes? You know, the one thing that was clear in this cohort was that, you know, we looked at targeted temperature management and there was actually no difference between the two temperature groups. And then we know that rewarming is oftentimes a very vulnerable time where hypotension is more common. And we actually did not find a significant difference between hypotensive episodes during rewarming in the two temperature arms. I think my big question is, are we looking at early hypotension just being a marker of severity of the patient and not something that is a specific therapeutic target? Or is the presence of hypotension kind of a goal that we need to add into our protocols? So, you know, I think that's a great question. All of these studies, um, because they're not intervention trials, are really describing associations. And I think you can draw conclusions saying, well, some might say, well, hypotension is a marker of severity and there's nothing to be done about it. But I think if you believe that the cardiac arrest and the return of spontaneous circulation is really just the beginning point of a resuscitation, which I do, then I think that there are patients where aggressive treatment of hypotension will help end organ perfusion and lead to better outcome. What we know is that's probably not everybody, but since we are not sophisticated enough to differentiate who those patients are right now, I think management of hypotension um, and prevention of hypotension is important. We don't even know what the correct threshold is yet, but we know that a you know a systolic blood pressure of less than the fifth percentile is too low um, for many patients.
that was going to be my question is sort of what should we aim at if we're attempting? Because I'm assuming just saying, well, don't let them be below the fifth percentile is not quite enough, but sounds like we don't have a clear idea of what the best goal above that is. No, I think at this point in time, we we really don't. Um, and so I think that, you know, the recommendations have been to target a blood pressure greater than the fifth percentile, and that would be consistent with the American Heart Association's um, PALS guidelines. But until we really have more granular data showing that in intervening to a certain blood pressure improves outcomes, we are sort of left with this less than the fifth percentile is associated with worse outcome. And then the question that I had too that extends a little bit from this and wasn't specifically addressed by the data you collected is, what about patients who who have out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and then when they are with you, they have they are not hypotensive, so they're they're normal tensive. Do we place them on uh, some sort of vasoactive as a preventative? What is our play there other than watching and waiting? So I think that's a great question. I think different practitioners have different styles. I think the the first thing that people need to be aware of is hypotension is common, and most of us are not able in our practice to sit at the bedside and watch continuously. And so once a patient has this return of circulation, they have this circulating epi on board. Some patients will even come in hypertensive or normotensive um, in that first period when you see them. And then as we walk away to address other things, without frequent assessment and reassessment, really even every couple minutes, those blood pressures may drop off. So I think the first thing, um, even before you get to whether you prophylactically treat, is to expect that the blood pressure is going to drop and to check it frequently and have someone really watching that. With that and anticipating that it is likely, I always have pressure infusions available and I may not have them on. On, but they are always in line, ready to go, anticipating that when we see that first drop in blood pressure, it's got to get turned on. And I think it's important because we oftentimes will say to ourselves, well, it's just one low blood pressure. I'm sure the next one will be better. It's human nature. And what you find then is you come back 10 minutes later and you've actually been hypotensive for those 10 minutes when you knew it was coming. Right, right. I love the idea of having it there and ready, removing the, the prep work you know, for when that hypotension actually arrives. Yeah, I think it's it's all anticipation. So this is your platform. Anything else that you wanna you wanna tell the world at large about this article or about how we should interpret it? You know, I think it's it's early data, it's associative data, but I think if you are a believer, which I am, that we wanna move the needle and improve outcomes, then this may be a piece of that puzzle. I think we are tend to be a reactive culture. I think we wanna be proactive. So I think it's helpful, especially in the emergency department setting when you have these patients come in and in the ICU setting. The questions you ask yourselves are, what are the, what's the blood pressure we're targeting? What are we looking for? When do we worry? Say it out loud. Um, tell people what you're going to do when that happens and put someone in charge for monitoring for that. So when the systolic blood pressure goes below 80, it's not, will you start a presser? But we're starting the presser now because this was the metric we hit. And my hope is, is with that approach over time, along with other elements of post-resuscitation care for children, we should be able to improve outcomes for a cohort of children who get ROSC. What a great way to wrap that up. I can't wait to have Alexis back on again. In review, hypotension after cardiac arrest is way more common than it should be. And while some of that represents patients who are quite ill and hypotensive despite maximal therapy, at least part of those numbers are patients who aren't being treated aggressively or quickly. She brings up a great point that after cardiac arrest, we should all be making a plan for what medications to have ready at the bedside and what our minimum tolerable blood pressure will be so that when the patient becomes hypotensive, there is no confusion on whether or not to start a vasoactive. 
I've been your host, Dr. Jason Woods. Please keep the conversation going by finding me on Twitter at jwoodsmd, via email at littlepatientsbigmedicine at gmail.com, or at the Little Big Med website, www.littlebigmed.com. Don't forget to head on over to iTunes and leave a review. It really does help others to find the podcast. Oh, 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 o